Welcome back to Flyover Media Presents. I'm always excited to be here. This is your host, BJ. Today, I got a former guest. I've uh, been here about four times, uh, but he brought a guest with him. Uh, it's uh, Mr. Josh Berry. Welcome back. What's up? And, Thanks for having me. And then he has uh, Mr. Rohit with him. How's it going? Good. They are from Hobby Boxed. I'm excited. If um, We're going to get into that in here in just in a second, so... Uh, I figured we start with a little nice old jazz, nice old jazz on a rainy Saturday. Yeah, it's nice. I like it. Yeah, I made that one uh, the other night. I've had some free time on my hands. If you listen to other episodes, um, how you guys been? Good. Not bad. Not bad. You guys staying busy? Trying to. Trying to. We got three shows this weekend. Look at you guys. Yeah. You guys. Then you're gonna be meet Mr. AP for some headshots. Yeah, I'm getting headshots for the website. He is in a uh, he's in a good mood though. He's getting his pool put in. Oh, is he? Yeah, and the guy didn't bring enough uh, uh, wire. No, <laughs> so he dug like a hundred yards of wire yesterday, and it was ten feet short. Oh, <laughs> and he's just angry at the world. <laughs> and then he's asking his wife about like, hey, mate, let me know when the pool's sealed up enough while he's at Home Depot. And she's like, I is it sending him photos? And it has all the. Uh, uh, what are those things fall from the trees they spin the I don't know heli- yeah helicopters. so the, the pool's full filled with it so he can't see the signs <laughs> so uh, but no uh, thanks for uh, checking out the last couple of shows I appreciate it so but I want I want to get into this um, when you first came when you first started doing this Josh you were doing it by yourself on the website and open uh, opening up cards and it really brought back a huge nostalgia for me um, cause I actually, f- actually went through and looked at some of my old cards that I had still had. And then even my brother was like, Hey, he was sending me pictures of it. So where did, where did this idea go from just doing it on Facebook to where you guys are trying to head to now? Um, when I started uh, raging card on, uh, I've been doing this for, um, I mean, I, I turn, uh, I think 39 this year. Yeah. Sounds right. Um, and, but I've been doing cards for probably 22 to 25 years of my life. And so, <clears throat> um, I started raging card on, on Facebook to start opening, uh, boxes and stuff in front of some of my closer friends who were kind of interested in it, or they had done it before in their, in their life and they've gotten out of it and they're kind of interested to in get back, back into it. Um, so it gave us a chance to it gave me a chance to open some stuff and talk about it and show them how everything has changed. Um, we ended up doing that for two years and then about after six or seven months of me doing it alone, um, Rowit started helping me manage um, the Facebook page and getting product and um, kind of building what we're at now. Um, so. We just got to the point we we got a good following. Had people buying in stuff and had a lot of people reaching out to us asking questions. And then the hobby just blew up, and it got to that point where we might as well um, go full seriousness with this if we're going to. And so that's um, we started to put together and create Hobby Box. 
And then, um, Robert, when did when did you, and kind of start from the beginning? <clears throat> how long have you been collecting? I've been collecting uh, probably since I turned nine. I'm uh, forty one now. Yeah, same age. Yeah, um, I've a uh, massive Michael Jordan fan. I grew up in Chicago, um, and uh, it was always basketball cards for me. Um, although, uh, actually at the age of nine, um, my mom brought home a garbage bag full of, uh, baseball, uh, cards that one of her patients had given her. And, uh, my brother and I just kind of went through it and that was kind of the start, but Michael Jordan kind of drove everything for, for me. That drove all of us. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, my hashtag Craig, uh, my brother still has all of his Jordan cards, still has them in like, it's. I mean, I mean, McDonald's would come out with something. We're at McDonald's. I mean, we're here. We're there. I mean, we whatever it was. I mean, we, I mean, we 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 would spend so much money, and then then all of a sudden, um, the small baseball card shop started pop, popping up. Mm -hmm. And I think Seymour had like two or three when we grew yeah. up. Um, J Josh, do you remember when like was it basketball for you, or or what got you into collecting cards when you were younger? Uh, it was mostly basketball. Uh, I did. It would go in order of uh, basketball was the number one, and then baseball and football was last at that point. Um, but I would do all of them. But like I said, my main focus was uh, was basketball always, and it's because of Michael Jordan. Mine was basketball too because I played basketball. Josh, you know you did too because I always loved them going from college to the pros, and then because we knew what college they played at, you could mm -hmm. say. Like, for example, you'd say a player and you'd be like, hey, he played at university of blah, blah, blah. It's not like that anymore. There was a, like almost a closer personal collection to each person that you knew. And then, you know, and, and so that's and that's one thing. Um, one thing that I've noticed is there's a re resurgence in card collecting. Wh when did that start coming back? I mean, I I saw Gary Vee talking about it because I follow him because I find him interesting. But I noticed he started talking about cards when did the resurgence start coming back a little bit? Well, I know for for me, um, it was as recent as 2016. Um, you know, Josh was Josh has been in, into cards since the 90s. Um, he never stopped. You know, when he moved from Indiana to Chicago, he was going to card shops and whatnot, and he used to tell us all about it. Um, but you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s, there are other priorities. Um, you know, then, then cards and, and that's what happened. You know, my, my business kind of, uh, came first and, and then your personal life. And, but since 2015, 2016, the, the market has just increased. It's just grown rapidly. Um, you have more buyers, you have more, uh, intelligent buyers and it's, it's really driving the market. And so for me, I would say 2015, it really kind of took a jump in 2018 with Luca, obviously. Um, and then 19 and 20 with, with Zion and Ja, obviously, it, it took another jump. And then uh, you compound that with the uh, the Jordan documentary and all those factors kind of uh, coalesced and it's become like this pop cultural phenomenon now, whereas before it wasn't really part of pop culture. Yeah, because I saw Gary Vee talking about Luca and older videos and stuff. And then I kind of, Doing what I do, I always kind of follow trends to see what what people are doing, and I I, I noticed that um, cards are coming coming back now. 
besides uh, hobby box, is there is there something like you still personally collect or that you still try to go out and do now? Yeah, I. So in the hobby, I look at it as um, there's there's two different ways I do it. I have a PC, which is my personal collection, um, and then you have your investments now. So my PC are is basically one guy, and uh, that's Michael Jordan. Um, I collect PSA tens and only PSA tens, um, and I try to do all low population. So PSA tens where there's only seven of them in the world, or 10 to 20 whatever and then i try to get as many of those i can so i just have everything you know so um but a lot with my jordans i don't really they're not i'm not i'm not designing my them as an investment so like i'm not worried about flipping them later in time or selling them my kids will do that when i'm dead but um then your my investments are usually just players who are young um who i like a situation that they're in whether it's a team that's in a rebuild and they're just an absolute stud, so they're just gonna they're getting all the playing time, or they're gonna get all the looks kind of thing. Um, so basically, your investments is a lot like like um, a stock. And with social media, each one of these players now has a chance to create their own stock, whether it's their personality, things like that. You have superstars who are super quiet that nobody that that their card value isn't very high. I mean, we spoke to a lot of people today at the show um, about Tim Duncan. I mean, Tim Duncan is arguably top two power forward of all time. But his market, I mean, his his card value like stood stale for his whole career. And then for the last maybe six, seven months, a lot of his bigger rookies that had been $50, $60 cards are now, you know, 800 to three thousand dollar cards and so um with that with the social media in today's market it helps each one of these athletes to brand themselves which helps their stock which has also helped with the resurgence of the whole hobby and, and the hobby being worldwide now with with you being from chicago and he just talking about tim duncan and one thing growing up um my brother also collected scotty pippen because always, obviously, he's hugely under a huge shadow. Has his cards kind of stayed, or have they grown? Because um, I always feel like you just said Tim Duncan. Like I think Scottie Pippen's cards should be obviously you didn't get the same treatment as some of the special cards as Jordan, but just like the rookies and the in some of the um, older cards. Well, the the market in general has grown, so Scottie Pippen has kind of gone up with that. But in terms of uh, relatively speaking, I think is, is is where the question is driving to. Has has it increased as much as Tim Duncan or, or Kobe Bryant? No, it hasn't. Um, for the most part, you know, they, it's it's one of those. He's one of those guys who, for whatever reason, and and this this happens even now, where there are certain guys who, for whatever reason, their brand doesn't catch on. And I think I think Josh made a good point about about the branding. Um, you know, um, you you have guys who who will come out and they put up monster numbers. Um, but for whatever reason, they could be in a small market. They could be, um, they might just not have a great personality. Um, like a Carl Malone. Exactly. Exactly. I can't stand Carl Malone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I, he, he's a perfect example. You know, he all time leading scorer. you know, when he, when he retired, you know, and then at the end of the day, you can get his, his rookie card, you know, for, 
low hundreds, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's just one of those things where, um, for whatever reason, the brand didn't take off now. So we got a little bit of insight, but what was the purpose of creating hobby boxed? So what, what was the, 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 the mindset behind when you guys came together to create that? Uh, I think the ultimate idea was for Rohit and I to, f at the age of hitting 40, is to finally do something that we kind of wanted to do as kids. Um, I think both of us growing up loving cards, having some sort of card shop or being part, being bigger than just like a buyer or a trader, but taking it to that business level is something that um, I think him and I have both always kind of wanted to do and um, finally was set into an opportunity to be able to do that. Well, f for me, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, I, I agree. I, for us, it's, it's a, it's definitely a passion. And so like, as, as we're growing, the fact that it's a passion and, and we don't really need to get paid or anything, it makes it a lot easier. You know, no, it's, I, it's, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where it's, you're just kind of doing it for the love, but to drill down into that, you know, as, as we were kind of talking, as, as we were seeing breakers breaking and, and an entirely new economic ecosystem kind of being created, there are market inefficiencies and there are problems within the market. And I think that one of the things that we can address or we're going to try to address is, is transparency and just trying to be clear with, you know, pricing, trying to show, um, you know, where we're coming from, what we've bought things at, um, and, and why we have things priced at, at you know, X or Y or Z. Um, and so, uh, the other side is, is the educational aspect. Um, I think that there are a lot of new collectors that are coming into the market and it's important to kind of have a safe space to ask questions and to kind of be able to learn and, and progress because as these new collectors become intelligent investors, you're only going to push the market forward. Yeah. Cause anything that you anything that can be reproduced is, it, is, it, it's always very scary to get into. Um, and that's one thing. And, and when you're talking about the educational side, um, have, is there a lot, is, is there, a, what are some of the biggest concerns that you have if people are getting into this or as they're doing it? I, Josh, you, obviously you, you, I'm sure you have your opinions on it. For, for me, um, the biggest thing is, is fraud. Um, there's just, there's a lot of bad actors kind of in, in, in the market, but, um, there are things that you can do to learn. Um, you know, obviously buying graded cards, uh, is one step, but even within that, you know, you have, uh, fake cases, you know, PSA cases, um, are pretty secure for the most part. Uh, BGS on the other hand, you know, that's, that's a different story. We've seen just in the last six months to uh, a year, several cases that have come out that are fraudulent, but there are specific things that you can see, um, that, that make these cases fake. Um, the patent number, not having, you know, the period, um, there are issues with the actual grade not being perforated properly. Um, so all of these things that, you know, they're just all small things, um, but they add up to a bigger picture. And I, I think it, it just it hopefully can push the, the hobby in a, in a more transparent fashion. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Because we saw the shoe market blow up. And then now 
I watch TikTok because it makes me giggle. But I, one of the people that I follow, they go through and show you how to look for fake shoes, how to look for fake. Uh, they're making fake stock X tags. Like they, if people put in their, um, if, if they put in much effort in a positive way as they might do, ripping people off. Like, could you imagine where this country would be? Oh, where yeah, be at? yeah. Um, and then, and then, and then that's is that one thing you guys be able to help people with and be able to do that? Because that's the biggest concern is you take it, let's say a fifteen year old kid, and he was looking to invest, and the next thing you know, we buy something off. Um, one, I guess it's least is like eBay and some of these other places. Have they really gone down? Are they still a factor? Or so price wise, market um, eBay is the market. That's I mean Beckett is a great magazine. There's terrific articles in it. It's still kind of, it's the rolling stone of, of the sports market in a sense, you know. So, um, and, and Beckett does a great job at education. I mean, when there's things that are happening that are negative, Beckett will address them and talk about them. So Beckett itself is a great, still a great magazine, um, but going there to get your pricing on things, um, it's kind of irrelevant to an extent now. But so eBay has changed a lot of their um, payout policies because of sports cards. They have done so much money in sports cards. So now the estimate for this next year, they're estimating that the sports card market will be a $7 billion market, $7 billion industry. And so a lot of that has to do with, with eBay. They have been affected so much by it. In like the last year, I think they've had two different policy changes because of it and because of the fraud that can happen through eBay and because eBay is very strong with um, buyer or on the buyers buyer protection so with that it makes scamming much easier so they've had to go through and and change some things and adjust some things just because of that and it's it's mainly because of just the sports card market is there fear saturation as the as it grows into the seven billion dollar business again oh yeah i mean it, there's obviously that you know the, this isn't a um uh it's it, it, it's a market at the end of the day and so there's it's a supply and demand kind of situation and so if there's going to be an oversupply and an oversaturation of the market people could you know become weary of it and kind of get bored it, it could be a um you know like one of those fad things but one of the things that we we kind of see is is, is there's a lot of smart money kind of um that that is coming in um we don't know if that's like a pump and dump um but at the end of the day what does seem to be happening is the amount of social media the amount of attention that's being put on cards you can't deny you can't say that it's fraud that you know espn is talking about million dollar card sales you know you can't say it's fraud when you see panini uh cards getting uh broke and ripped on tnt you know, these are things that are happening. That that's important because it's happening in terms of a, from a pop culture uh, standpoint. That's where these cards are going to be driven is through branding and through being important in terms of pop culture. If you can talk about it, it's going to be important because of how important social media is. And that's one of the thing, the biggest things that has driven this is the proliferation of social media. And then you couple that with the pandemic, people staying at home, and it was. You know, it, it was an avalanche, you know? Yeah, so big that grading companies weren't ready at all. Uh, PCA, P, P, PSA has shut themselves down because they can't keep up. They actually had 
their insurance company forced them to sh- to shut down because they had already brought in they had so many cards from people sending them in to get them graded sitting in their warehouses waiting to be graded that it was more than what their insurance policy actually was wow so their insurance company came in and was like you have to shut down because if this building burns down we're all screwed like you're screwed and we're screwed so they made them and psa went and bought a brand new more holding let's just say I think it was fifty six thousand square feet. It's 50, yes. over fifty thousand square feet of and a, to a think about that think about that as a as a card how much cards i can hold yeah um the because like i said the um what are some of the because growing up well there was don rust there was fleer there was um upper deck upper deck skybox skybox it was hoops hoops tops obviously for baseball have been around forever um is do you guys more brand i know you guys are looking for certain players cards but but is there still like for me like don rust for a while was like the one where i i knew i would get not the value but i would more likely get the players i want is there you guys is there still a favorite brand you guys have the market has one um the market definitely has one uh you know it, it used to be when when tops had the licenses and it, for basketball it used to be tops chrome and um now the the tops chrome benchmark has shifted to uh prism panini prism yes um so yeah that that's the benchmark i would say for for the entire market in terms of you know what what my personal favorite is is it, noir hands down is 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 my personal favorite me too yeah, it's basically Panini's on the on the verge of creating a monopoly, and the only thing that stands between them is Tops, and so Tops keeps winning, outbidding them for the baseball rights. Panini still makes baseball cards, so they kind of go what you're talking about. So Panini owns Donruss, so Donruss can make baseball cards, um, and then they um, Prism they own Prism, so they make Prism baseball cards. Those cards don't have team logos, um, so what Panini's starting to do that's pretty smart is a lot of the pictures in the photos and stuff of is of the guy maybe swinging and then the late where the logo would be is facing opposite so you can still see their name so it still has this this feel of basketball without having this like ill legit kind of feel to it but those cards do tend to carry lower value but do do really well in sales so there are people who really like to buy them and to rip them because they are cheaper to rip. And like you said, you tend to get a lot more um, of the players you like and stuff. But the resale value just necessarily isn't as high as like what a Topps rookie would be because Topps has the team logo and the rights and stuff. And I should have, sorry, I should apologize real quick. When I'm saying Prism, and, and thanks, Josh, you, you caught it, um, Prism for uh, for for basketball definitely for football um but for for baseball it's obviously still tops because they have the license so yeah i definitely misspoke there but. well and here's where the problem is is baseball decided to take care of all their social media for many years right so so they've done a, a very bad job of developing stars in my opinion right yeah, absolutely basketball you know i mean with they've taken social media their own social media and done a great job Football is a little bit more difficult at times. Um, I was a huge football fan, but uh, basketball player basketball is is you see how they're able to create because baseball fell behind in ratings and attendance and everything because they weren't um, 
able to allow their stars to brand themselves. Yeah. So um, this is such a weird question. And at 41 years old, I still don't even know how they box their cards. <laughs> I'd, well, I'd, you know, I'd love to see it. the same way. I'd love to see a cigarette factory, how they do it. Like, you know, really? Well, they actually, there's, um, there's pickers from the, from where, I, what I remember. Cause I've actually seen, I worked for a printing press that got to print some cards back in the day. It wasn't any, it wasn't like one of the big the big names, um, but they had the company came in rented one of the printers and um, just ran off some like some cards and how they would have it set up is that they would just be running these cards and they would run them in order from um, uh, basically they'll take they'll break the alphabet down and then they'll take like A M and Z those last names. And then they'll kind of throw them in in an order together, and so it kind of comes. So when it's printing out, it's printing out in this kind of similar order, and then there would be somebody at the end, right before somebody would pick up a certain amount of them, and then you'd make them in little stacks, um, and then there'd be someone on the end that would every now and then they had the handful of like bigger cards, like the hits, and then they would slide them in certain areas, and they would kind of break the packs down, certain inserts, and every so often there or every other to the certain point of a number of cards, then you enter an insert. And then, so it used to be super random and things like that and r seemed really inefficient to me when I was watching it happen. Um, but then again, like I said, this wasn't one of the big companies. Tops, who's been doing this for 70 plus years, I'm sure they have some system where you'd walk in and be like, oh my God, you know, like it's just automated to an extent. Um, but with, with your question, like um, that's a really good question. To the point, I haven't really sat down to because think I'm about. Because I'm thinking about the big cards, right? That one and like one and one and one of two or one of five. I just just in my mind, like how does that card get in that pack? I assume that's because I know that's some boxes because some some boxes are guaranteed to have at least one yeah. um, elite card. That's the un. Um, and I've always was enamored with that. Like, how did that person get that card? Sure. Yeah. And just naturally, you always have this feeling like when you see certain places just constantly getting hits, you're like, Panini clearly knows you know, yeah. where these. I mean, it's just a net. Obviously, they don't. I mean, you would hope they don't. But, you know, it's and it's it's one of those things you would hope that it's a randomizer. You know, we have enough technology now at this point. that yeah. You know, you can just pop in an algorithm and, you know, a, a sorter should be able to do it. Are boxes of uh, sealed boxes of cards? Are those numbered at all? There are numbers inside them. So because I go back to the lottery factor. That guy at seven in the morning, like, what number is this one on? Right. Well, it's it's on number sixty-seven. All right, I'll take the next five. Yeah, there's a number inside. You have to tear the plastic and open the box. When you flip the lid, they'll have numbers. And there are some serious breakers who like are the. So the hobby, I always look at the hobby as three different ways. There's collecting, there's investing, and then there's the gambling. And the gambling is the buying and the breaks and ripping boxes and stuff like that because it's, it's a huge gamble. Um, so there are guys who just do that, and they do really well with it, but they have you have all these superstitions, the same as playing, playing the game itself. you know. So um, certain numbers and boxes and stuff, a lot of these guys, when they buy in and they see those certain numbers, they're – that means something to them. Certain numbers, they have a feeling that certain numbers they've done well with, or, you know, it's just, like I said, a superstition thing. But to go back, I'm sorry, to go back to um, loading the boxes. Now, there is something they kind of do know and they do do 
is that so they they put a certain amount of like pre-sale value in each box so they like to the point where you're supposed to be guaranteed at least 50 to 60 percent of their money back but that sale of that box that's at that they're gauging it off of is never going to be the price once it hits the market so they'll have a box where it's gauged at eight hundred dollars so they're going to put on average at least five six hundred dollars into that but then when that box hits the market to sell it and it's being sold for four thousand dollars like a national treasures box now the stuff in there is incredible it's beautiful it's one of a kind a lot of the times but there are a lot of people who get absolutely killed in them where you're spending i mean not a lot of people can spend four thousand dollars and you get what 10 cards is that right mm. 10 cards and then when you're done, you have $300 back out of those cards, you know? And um, so that is kind of a little thing of, on how they do it. Um, they do do it that way. That is something I know. Well, I was looking at something here real fast. Is so with what I think someone might find it interesting, the, like the most expensive box of basketball cards is... Um, there's one on eBay, 2018 and 2019 Panini flawless for like 20 grand. Yeah. Oh, you'll have exquisite. Yeah. If you go back further in time, you'll have exquisite boxes that are going for hundreds of thousands of dollars. The, what, the what? exquisite has LeBron with Jordan autographs together. There's a $500,000 one. There's one that's 750,000. I mean, tops the, um, the, the, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> Oh, was it 0304 Tops Chrome? That's a, mm-hmm. that's a couple of houses around here. Yeah. Um, that yeah. We just watched one on eBay. The So the Tops Chrome of Mello, LeBron, and Wade, and Bosch, like incredible class. We watched a box get sold for what, 70, mm-hmm. 75, $76,000 the other day. Now, we had an opportunity to buy one of those boxes at 20 grand. And it was what, six, seven months ago? And we were like, no, man, there's that, no that, way. That's ridiculous. We're not doing that. And now we're just going, why didn't you make me do, you know, we're like yelling at each other, like, look at the money we're losing, you know? So yep. it's one of these things that we, it, what's happening and what's beautiful and what what's makes the market exciting or the, the hobby exciting is that nobody saw this coming. Nobody. And so everyone's on an evil, an even playing ground. You know, it, it's, it's basically this stock market that's come up out of nowhere no one really understands it to an extent like we have ideas like Rowan and i have studied enough and we followed enough that we we've made some really good investments you know we've you can buy an 80 dollars card and then we sell it for seven eight hundred dollars a few months later like there's there's things we do right and but there is this crazy just chaos to it that's also fun that like somebody that is a multi-millionaire um that them having a bunch of money doesn't put them in a better position than us. Now, like they have a better position at buying bigger cards, this and that. But some of these cards can have these great runs for a few months and then completely tank, and they've lost they've lost a lot of money. Um, so it's just running even playing ground. They're just buying at a higher level than what we are. But the amount of profit percentage of ROI and stuff can be all the same. It's just the amounts of money is different. So that's what makes it interesting is that it is an even playing ground to an extent. We can play this game the way we want to do it and have just as much success and enjoyment as somebody who's playing at a much higher. They're just at a bigger blackjack table, you know, 
but it's all the same game. We're all in the same odds. And that makes it interesting and it makes it fun. It's almost like the resurgence in, in, in even Pokemon like uh, came back again. Um, I saw that again on a couple of things, and I couldn't believe the amount of money those were going for. The original Charizard, I yeah, think I'm saying that that's right. That's the big one, 150, I think, 150 grand, PSA uh, 10. And then, yeah, then even the Pauls had spent like a million or something like that yeah. just for a chance to maybe, yeah. It's, and I get that aspect of it because I was a big wrestling uh, figure collector. Yeah. So I would buy, I would buy it. I know which ones to get. I would look for the discoloration. I would look for the rare ones, and then sell them, and then things like that. And then that was the rush of going to like Target and then Walmart. Hey, here's ten bucks. When's the next? When when what night do you stock these? Mm-hmm. Right. And then it became that. It it was a fun obsession. Now, you guys have the what you guys have, what you guys are doing now. A lot of do people still go to like only place I've ever seen cards still is like Walmart and Target. Like you don't see them at gas stations anymore, things like right. that. So basically, is besides online and individual card shops, is there any so retail places that people still go to? Retail, um, because I saw I saw a video about Target where someone came in and bought like everything that they had on the shelves. Yeah, yeah, and they've actually been getting hammered with that so now they're limiting and so now they're ta- some some targets of walmart's aren't carrying them anymore because of the chaos that's behind it because you can go in a lot of these retail boxes people can, if you can get there and buy them when they're being put on the shelves you buy them for 20 dollars, and then you can immediately go home and sell them on ebay for 150 dollars and have them probably sold in a day or two yeah that's what we were doing with figures and stuff like that yep. that's why they would limit them because kids weren't able to buy them right because I was coming in as an, I was like 18, 19 years old. And I was coming in and buying them as soon as they hit. Because I knew how much the resale value was on them. Um, so a lot of it is went really on online driven. And where, where do you guys, with, the, with what you guys are doing, what's the ultimate goal? What would you guys like to be able to do and be able to provide for everybody and then be the place to go? for me um my my goal is is honestly is is just to have a place where i can consistently break and and be in the card market and and sell products that's that's my goal and and um as part and parcel of that is is to kind of try to help people learn from my mistakes because at the end of the day you know I can sit here and you know pretend to be like some kind of expert and genius about about this market, but everything that I'm learning is is not only through mistakes and and, and research, but um, just experience talking to people, right? And and we're out there uh, constantly. We're, we're we talk to a lot of different people um, to try to get their ideas. Um, my one of my favorite things to do any anytime I'm in a card show or in a card shop. I will find the oldest person in that shop or in that hall, and I want to talk to them about the card market. Um, you know, yesterday uh, we were talking to a guy who's an Air Force veteran, and uh, he was telling us a story. Um, in 1986, he had the opportunity to buy 25 cases of 1986 Fleer basketball. Oh, I know, and those were gray, right? Around the around the cards. The Jordan, the the eighty six, eighty seven mm-hmm. flare yep. Jordan, yeah. Yep. So it's it's uh, with the red border, and, yep. and like yeah, his rookie. Um, his, so this 
basically the, it's it's probably the biggest box, one of the biggest boxes of all time. But he he had the opportunity by basically like twenty five cases, so about six hundred boxes, um, at a hundred dollars a piece. So basically twenty five hundred dollars, hundred dollars per case. Yeah, hundred dollars per case. Uh, so basically twenty five hundred dollars, you know, for for twenty five cases, which. You know, you extrapolate 600, 600 boxes. Obviously, nobody's going to hold all 600 boxes, but, you know, let's think, let's hypothetically think if, if they yeah. did, you know, on a $50,000. Uh, um, and, and some of these uh, boxes ended up going for like three fifty, three hundred thousand 300000 in mm-hmm. December and January. Um, I, th- I think they're probably down to about 120, 150, but geez, you know, can you imagine that's, that's well over 30, 40 million dollars <laughs> in product? Yeah. When you're, Behind, I mean, eleven dollars a box in those days, and now one box, you know, like you were saying, it's six figures, because every time one one of them gets opened up, it's, they're getting opened up while being videotaped because it's the greatest box of all time. But every time one gets opened up, that's one less that there is. They're not making more, you know. So there, there are there's somebody out there that that has a few and they're sitting on them and they're gonna wait for it to disappear. And once they're no more around and people are starting to whisper like, Oh, the 86, 87 Fleer obviously done. Like there's no more boxes. This guy's going to have them and you know, and they're going to go for a huge money. They're going to show it. Yeah. That's when you're going to see them at like Sotheby's or something like that. Yeah. Where it goes next level. Yeah. It'll be 500, 600 up to, I mean, people are dropping millions. It'd be so exciting to see too, just to be like 10 years from now, all of a sudden you're like, Hey, we, it's almost like finding it, you know, a, um, old a barn find card like yeah. hey found this box of an opener a storage unit where you find these and then to me that's so exciting yeah because you, you don't know what's going to come out of it and then i love unboxing like i watch i just love it i'd, I'd even don't even collect cards i just like watching it and yeah. be like oh what's in this yeah it's like a lottery it's yeah like, you know it's like a mini lottery that's happening because and now you know with with the amount of money that these cards are going for you know it's it's a real lottery it's no longer a mini lottery so yeah and everybody i've been around even watching from uh josh's facebook and other things is like it's a good bunch of dudes mm-hmm. yeah. a good bunch of people i don't say dudes a good bunch of people like everybody's having a good time and and you see him yelling and screaming i got it and it's just like and most people don't get it like hey it's just a card i'm like no i get it like it's 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 a great feeling to give back i i got it it's chasing that drug that, that adrenaline feeling and for me like i always tell people the reason i really like opening stuff is because it's pure luck and to have this feeling that for just for a few minutes that like luck was on your side like you were the one who got this one of one like there's only one of them in the whole world and somehow you ended up with the box out of all the boxes, you know, and like having that feeling of it's almost like for for a few minutes, I felt important, <laughs> like like the universe was like, this is this is what you deserve. You deserve this moment, you know, and cards card, the way cards looked of real, especially football cards. And if you get my word, they have really changed on some of the special ones. Like there's sometimes like part of the jersey, a little autograph. Like the the labyrinth of of because football cards I think correct me if I'm wrong have really tried to push themselves forward to catch up with the basketball with how the creative of the the creativity of the cards. Mm-hmm. Well, the the licenses used to be different, you know. Um, well, before I guess 2011 or 12 when it became exclusive with Panini, I guess it was 2012. You know, every everybody kind of had uh, a shot at at, at every sport. Um, since 2012, you know, Panini has had basically uh, an exclusivity on, on licenses uh, from, you know, football, 
uh, basketball, um, and and soccer for to a certain extent. Um, hockey's always kind of been with upper deck, and and baseball's always kind of been with tops. But you know, one of the things that Panini has has kind of caught on to is is the is the need for a modern, cutting edge, artistic design. You know. They still have, you know, the portrait looks like the Donners that you were talking about, and and those are stayed and kind of, you know, they're they're very, um, they're comfortable because people, you know, used to collect them, and it's a very simple um, card to look at. You know what one is going to look like versus the, versus another. You know, there's some cards like Revolution where they all like it's very difficult to see, you know, what, what, what the parallel is, what, what the insert. So with football, you know, I think one of the things that, uh, has happened is, is that the overall, uh, market has kind of shifted up and it's kind of had to force, you know, the Panini to, to provide a, a product that people are going to want. And I don't know what your thoughts are on it, Josh. No, I, I agree. I, we, um, when he's talking about the revolution cards, the revolution cards are very loud, you know, they're very pretty. They're very artistic. Um, but they're not for everybody. And so um, we've run, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of the old style. Like I like a card that's kind of simple. There's just something about um, the simplicity that kind of, you're talking about earlier, this nostalgia I got to feel. And that cards is that nostalgia feel for me. So a lot of times with these older cards, like I, I prefer Donruss over Prism just because Donruss still does have this um, older, simple kind of look to it compared to the the nice, fancy, and shiny prism, you know. Yeah, I it, it's it's so weird um, growing up because as I sit here and then and anybody you're going to talk to about this, they're just going to be like, "Holy cow, all those cards!" Like right now, I'm like, "Where is all my cards?" <laughs> um, I know Craig did a great job of his, but I mean, we moved a lot and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, there's no better feeling than, than like mom would give us because it was at Jackson. No, it was a there's a convenience store, and then somebody somebody opened up a card shop right in, by the apartments, and then mom would give us like two three bucks and just go over there. And obviously, couldn't we were buying quarter cards, and then we would buy a Beckett, and then we'd open a pack, and then you'd go through Beckett. Like every kid, I I, I don't want to say every kid, but a lot of us that played sports, collected cards, looked up cards. And then I remember there were some older people that like, I'm like, how'd you get these cards? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you, and I realized it was, you know, they bought more boxes and stuff like that. Yeah. So we used to get them in stockings all the time. Somebody, yeah. I can't remember who it was. I saw it somewhere. Uh, it was like 87, was it 87 tops? That it was the three packs that used to hang on the ends. Like mm -hmm. someone found some unopened. Yeah. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, like that's what all we used to buy was the three. Because uh, my mom worked at Murphy's he's, oh, yeah. he's before it came. To, it was Murphy's, and that's where we'd went, and we'd still get the gum. Yeah. So that makes me feel really old at that point in time. <laughs> so is there, is there anything, and I'll ask them the same question, is there anything that you know that you still want for your personal collection that there's there might be one or two or three cards missing like these are the three these are my holy grails this is what i want yeah they're um of course i want a michael jordan psa 10 rookie i'm not gonna be able, i mean that's it's a multi-million dollar card so to get that 
I've got a lot of work to do. Um, but that's, that is one of my dreams to have, um, a mantle PSA four to PSA five, um, rookie would be awesome. Very affordable. Um, some, I mean, anything above that, any, anything that's mantle six and up, um, is uh, very very big and hard to find um and then the hank aaron i've always wanted a hank aaron rookie it's such a cool card it looks fake to the extent because it's he's got you know it's the card that has his face on one side and then it has like kind of an action shot or whatever yeah and um, it's just it's just such a staple card and um so those three cards but those are all those are three cards that are just like that's like if i could have any kind of wishful thinking thing um, but as for right now, cards that I'm um, searching for that I could definitely get that I'm doing, um, the uh, Jordan Scoring Kings 10, I would really like to have. And um, the Jordan, um, uh, I can't even remember the name of it now. But yeah, like like I said earlier, I'm, PSA 10 Jordans is what I, what I collect and basically all like really, really PC. But to be able to land like a mantle graded rookie or in a Hank Aaron graded rookie or two are also two the um, two ones that I would dream to have and possibly try to have before I'm dead. I asked him what his holy grail from his personal collection was. Not not the other side, but just what you're missing what you would like to have for your personal collection. Oh, what I would like to have from my personal collection. Yeah, if you could uh, have anything. Like what what's your uh I'm okay, so I'm I'm I love autographs. I'm big into autographs. Uh, we kind of touched on it before with the exquisite. I would absolutely love to have one day a uh, 0304 uh, dual LeBron Jordan. Oh, oh my god, <coughs> that would be that would be phenomenal. And it's a beautiful card. It's, it's just I, stunning. I, exquisite. The reason why National Treasures exist today is because of mm-hmm. exquisite. Like it's it's. It's exquisite. I mean, it's one it's of the, the best looking cards. I think it was one of the first times when they were like, wait a second, we can make beautiful cards. Like we can make art, you know, and, and we can sell it too, you know? So, uh, I, for me, it's, it's the exquisite. Um, I'm also trying to, I'm a big, uh, I, I kind of talked about noir before. One of the reasons why I love noir is, uh, the, uh, sneaker spotlight. Um, sneak, yeah, I, I absolutely love those cards. Um, I have a uh, the Luca, the Ja, and the Zion. I would love if I can get the uh, LeBron um, from '19. There's two versions. There's the uh, uh, his Lakers version um, and a Cavs version. If I can get the uh, um, Kobe, which is only out of '49, which is going to be really hard now. Oof. Obviously, yeah. Um, that that card is obviously you know appreciated uh, very well. But I, I think that the set, it's its a combination. You were kind of talking about sneakers before, and it's its you know, it's an allusion to the the sneaker heads and, and the culture of, of sneakers, um, and it kind of dovetails nicely into the card as well. And we were just, one, one day I was just, you know, kind of thinking, ruminating about it, but can you imagine if they ever had a Jordan, you know? <laughs> Somebody made a fake one. Yeah. There's like, this is what the, this is what the sneaker spotlight Jordan would look like, and like with I, the original Nike Airs? Yeah, I started tearing up. I mean, it was, it's like watching my daughter be born. <laughs> it was just gorgeous. And what? I just <laughs> wanted it so badly. What is? What do you have in your collection that 
is probably your like if they said hey what one card defines you your collection what would it be josh when i was 13 years old i was um blessed enough to spend a week with michael jordan um and when i said i speak spend a week with michael jordan like i spent a week with michael jordan so one of my coaches was vince carter who was going into his junior year at north carolina and um which was his last year of college um and so Jordan was doing Space Jam at that time. So in the mornings he would go and shoot and stuff, and, um, shoot the film, and then he would come to the camp uh, in the afternoon. And so I, in that sense, I was able to get his autograph. And um, since he's such, you know, since Upper Deck, Jordan is Upper Deck, Upper Deck is Jordan, they actually had an Upper Deck person standing next to him. So every time he would sign something of yours, they would, uh, authenticate it with the upper deck sticker wow and so the autograph i have is on a card that there was only there was fifteen thousand of the card made and then i have two of the fifteen thousand, and one of them's autographed and it's the only one i've ever seen autographed and so um i'm going to send it off and have it authenticated and cased and stuff and i mean it's it's not one like i said that i would ever sell like it's 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 it was such a um, great experience in my life that there's so much to it than just the autograph you know it's the first time i mean i and that's also with that experience i'm i i like i said i got to meet him and so there was a moment like i was talking about opening boxes earlier and it kind of having this drug and this adrenaline feeling of having this importance like holy shit like i i hit this one card nobody else will ever be able to hit it i that kind of feeling I was standing on the sideline watching um, Kobe Bryant and Kevin Garnett play. Young kids getting ready to Garnett was getting ready to go. He was getting ready to get drafted, and um, so kind of knew who they were a little bit, you know, from um, Slam Magazine and stuff. So I'm standing on the sideline watching a play, and one of the largest hands I've ever seen comes over and it, it just sets on my right shoulder. So I, like I look down. At my right shoulder and then i look up and it's michael jordan he's got his arm around me and he's like just looking down at me and so i froze <laughs> i didn't know what to say you know and i just kind of froze and he's just kind of like how you doing and i was wearing his um san antonio all-star game jersey the teal with the peppers mm -hmm. and stuff on yep. it he's like that's a good looking jersey where'd you get it and i'm just staring at him you know and i can he's like and he kind of smiles and he goes I'll, I'll get back to you later and kind of walked off you know and i'm just because in that moment, the most most recognized athlete of all time was just staying there talking to me. Almost, uh, yeah, not even athlete, almost just like human. Besides <laughs> Michael, like almost like Michael Jackson, pop culture person, yeah. ever is like, hey, what's up, buddy? And you're like, what? You're like, oh, me? <laughs> like, you know, and you're, and you're touching me? Like, you're just. So there, uh, and that was one thing about Michael. He knew who he was and he knew exactly who he was supposed to be. Like, I was, you know, 12, 12 or 13 year old kid. He knew I was his, or he was hit my everything at that time, you know, and so like he did a really good job with that. Like now, I care less to ever meet him. <laughs> I don't want to go play golf with him, hang out. Like, I, you know, as you get older and you get grown men, you you lose like your heroes like that. But then you also kind of realize that a lot of those guys are kind of assholes, and you don't really <laughs> personally probably would want to hang out with them that much. But as a kid, he was perfect for me. Oh, and, absolutely, and, and I enjoyed it, and it's it's something that I will uh always cherish you know so that's that's my card now that i'm done rambling what's yours uh what's yours wait a second i have to follow that story yeah I know. Uh, meeting michael jordan <laughs> yeah edit this and cut, <laughs> cut me in first <laughs> so, 
Thanks. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, if you couldn't, if for those listening, if you couldn't guess, uh, with my name Rohit, I'm a Indian first generation. Um, Indian parents are very transactional in nature, and so growing up, um, getting my hands on a Jordan rookie. Uh, was pretty difficult and we keep talking about Jordan uh, you know there's a lot of other players obviously we're happy to talk about those but is there our <laughs> our idol it just happens to be one of the reasons why Josh and I became such good friends both idolize Michael Jordan <laughs> like it just happened that way and now we're we're in a business together so <laughs> that's the deal um but I never got my hands as, as a kid uh, on a Jordan Fleer rookie um and uh, the star was even further out of my reach um but when I kind of came back in the hobby, like in 15, that was the one that I, I made sure that I got that card. Um, and I still have it. Um, and, you know, I've been offered, you know, before, um, you know, to uh, sell it and whatnot. And I, it was something that I wanted for so long and it's not even a PSA 10. I mean, it's a PSA seven. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those cards that, um, at the end of the day, like I, I had wanted it for so long and now I have it. I can't see myself getting rid of it um, unless I had another one to back it up, you know? Um, so it's it, it's that one. Um, I ended up getting a, the star um, graded by Beckett uh, about, I don't know, eight months ago. Um, and I was really happy about that one. Um, thankfully, that one's appreciated very well, but that's very another well. card that I just I wouldn't get rid of. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying very well. I was just answering on top of what you said yeah i mean it's one thing if as a child if you couldn't get it because you would see the prices when you would go to the card shops like i can't like they're not gonna give me my parents are gonna give me the money for this card well yeah that was that was that was a problem like i would get on honor roll and had i been on dean's list i would earn that card you know and and that was the problem it was just a moving target because the product kept uh increasing in price i know i um like I said, I, grew, I, I actually right over there is the original Jordan starting lineup um, out of the box. Obviously, I got it when I was a kid, but that's that's Series 1, original one right there that I have sitting on the top shelf. Original Andre Dawson, Series 1, Chris Sabos, Series 1. I didn't know about keeping it in the box. Right. Uh, series 1, Jim McMahon starting lineup, and then uh, uh, Otis Anderson, I believe. I stole those from my brother. <laughs> But no, I mean, and like I said, those are, I collect, those are Series 2 WWF um, wrestlers. Those are the ones that, they're, they're called Titans. Those are the ones people can't see them, obviously, because it's a podcast. But those are the ones, if you hit your brother or sister with it, they they would kill you. <laughs> um, I bought them out of yard. I bought them out of flea market, and then I valued them out. I paid 20 bucks for it, and I think it's about $500 worth over there. Hispanic guy had them in a bag. It's like, I'll take those. <laughs> and I gave another collector. I had two Andre the Giants, and he was missing one. I gave it to him, and just like his face, like he says, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I can have this. So I don't have enough room to collect stuff. I'm a big Eagles fan. Um, I grew up a big Cubs fan. I, You know, Andre Dawson was like my idol growing up. Um, So, and obviously we grew up in a Bulls household and that's what's weird is, you know, we're from Seymour, me and Josh and they're both like, you don't like the Pacers. Like we didn't, it's not why we grew up. Yeah. Like if I was growing up in today, like I would probably be a Pacer fan. If I grew up here, yeah, absolutely. I'd be Pacers. I'd be at all the Indians games, Colts fans. But when I grew up watching Philadelphia Eagles on uh, channel 32 out of Kentucky, Louisville. (laughs) 
So I'm a big Eagles fan. And then um, because sports mem- memorabilia is, I'm going to tell you, uh, we're going to get out of here, but I want to tell you the coolest piece of sports memorabilia I've ever seen. Um, I'd love for you guys to meet him. Hopefully one day his name is Fred Duggar. He did card shows. Nice. He did card shows with Pete Rose. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. He had a partnership nice. with him. Nice. So Pete's signing cards and going, Fred, you got this one? Yeah, I got that one. He's signing cards. You got this one? Yeah, I got him. And Pete's Pete's kind of competitive. We've heard that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's getting pissed because everything he said, Fred's like, I got that. I got that. I got that. He's like, you know what, you son of a bitch? He gave him the check from the card show. Yeah, so it was pretty cool when I saw that check hanging up in his uh, loft over there. So the Pete Rose check was pretty cool. So, But as we're wrapping up here... Um, just i always call this the shameless plug i know we know you guys were here but i want you guys to talk about the website i think it's a great idea anytime somebody that um just started this podcast josh you've been a big supporter which i appreciate it um give you the platform to be able to talk about what you guys are doing and what you guys hope to accomplish with it yeah uh so you go ahead and do the you explain the website you, gotta, you want the you want the spiel yeah right. you got you got to first of all thank you thanks for having us here no it took me back to my childhood man and it's 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 something that was uh now i'm gonna go look for my shit <laughs> yeah man and if uh if you need any help selling us uh, obviously let us know um hobbybox.com what are we um you know we wanted to uh effectively create a space um we're going to be research oriented. Uh, you're going to have pricing uh, comparisons. What does that mean? We wanted a place where you can come to a website and basically, you know, you can compare us to the rest of the market. We're not afraid of, you know, where our prices are at. I think our prices are very competitive uh, compared to uh, definitely compared to, uh, you know, the big three uh, steel city collectibles, uh, um, Dave and Adams and uh, blowout cards. Um, we're always lower than uh, eBay, um, but we want to uh, we want to give the consumer the chance to uh, review. So not only do we show those prices, but we include um, uh, StockX so that you can see recent prices on there. But also one thirty point. Uh, you know, down the line, I'd I'd like to add Card Ladder if if we're able to uh, partner with them because I think that they provide. Uh, really great content and uh, really great information in terms of uh, uh, market analytics and trends and things of that nature. Um, we also want to be able to provide you know interesting content through our investment strategies and our buy sell lists. Uh, we have a forum you know where anybody can come ask questions, talk about the hobby, complain. You know if you there's there's so many things in this com- in this hobby that that you can talk about whether it's positive or negative. Um, we want to create a, a space where it's ultimately where you feel safe. You might, you know, you might be a negative person. You might talk negatively, um, but do it with respect and, and, and do it with courtesy and do it with an understanding that, you know, not everybody um, has the same resources and has the same experience as you. And, 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 you know, you have to kind of account for that. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of the end game is, is create a space where, People can come. They they know that the product that they're getting is is second to none and at a, at a price that's not only competitive but probably lower than than the market. Um, a place where you can learn about the products and a place where you can ask questions. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds, and then that's exactly, anytime you have a hobby, it's a nice place to go, be able to, nice, safe place to go, and then I think it's a great idea to gain school. I'm glad it's coming back, because like I said, this is people, the kids, father and sons, father, daughters, whatever, they could definitely go through and get, get with that. Josh, you got any closing words over there, sir? Closing words. Uh, yeah, you can uh, check us out on Facebook, uh, Hobby Boxed, um, Instagram, Oh, Hobby Boxed. And then uh, YouTube, which we haven't really started yet. We do have we do have ourselves a, an account there. But we hope to be adding some, um, some stuff to that down the road. Um, and then also on Twitter, it's at, um, yeah, you guessed it, Hobby Boxed. So um, check us out. We do uh, try to daily to put out um, content. A lot of it is informative content about the hobby itself. And then um, a lot of it is also uh, investments, just kind of showing certain cards that may be going down or going up, or maybe a card you're not even, you don't even know exists uh, that has caught some um, some momentum in the market, things like that. So we try to uh, let new people and people who are revisiting the hobby, we try to help ease them back into it and giving them some um, some knowledge that we learned from screwing up. And um, yeah. That's that's about my closing words, really. Well, I like I said, appreciate you guys joining me. Check it out at hobbybox.com. Make sure to check out all their social media. Ro, what what song are we going out to? We're going out to uh Alan Parsons Project Serious. You know what? I appreciate you guys stopping by. Um, like I said, is and always like um uh I hope everybody's having a great Friday. Any information they send to me, I'll make sure we get it up and share that. And then like I said, make sure you support this is a little small business. Make sure you support your small businesses. And uh we'll talk to you next week, kids. See ya. Thank you so much.